0: John, would you do the honors and kick us off, please? Didn't do it. Why not? I didn't have time. If you don't do the assignment, you'll get a failing grade. How was school? Oh, let me guess. Fine. What are you working on? Oral report? Maybe I could help. What are you saving him for? Your Jordans, when it's the right time. Baby, come back downstairs, all your friends are waiting to sing happy birthday to you. And you are loved. Can't catch me so you got to call me? Whatever, essay. What'd you just call me? Knock it off! Next guy who swings is Bent. Practice is over, watch out. John, Chad, bring it here. What's up with you guys? John beat you up for starting guard, Chad. Deal with it. Tabaret. Whatever. You want to start, better change schools. Enough. Newsflash. You're not the NBA yet. And acting like that, you aren't ever going to get there. Understood? All right. Wash up. John, hold up. I want to talk to you for a minute. What's this I hear about you getting a failing grade in your family history or something? What does it matter? Well, unless you figure it out, I'm gonna have to bench you for Sunday's game. What? That's bullshit. Hey. Whatever. You're a good player, John. But right now, you're blowing it. What's going on with you lately?
1: Hey, Hope, what's going on with you lately? That's the question that I want to start with today. And, and I think it would be great if we just got everybody into small groups of six or eight people and we take the next 30 minutes and you can just check in. Uh, Maybe not. Okay, that's really not what worship services are for. That's what small groups are for. We got 200 people taking part in Unshakable Hope small groups. You heard in the uh, 360, the Hope 360. There's another opportunity for connection. Uh, Everybody always that book study of the Bob Goff book. So if you're looking for community and a a way to get connected, there's all sorts of options, and we'd love to help you do that. But what I want to do today is kind of the starting place when we ask this question. What's going on with you lately? The starting place is you. And are you seeing, are you aware of what's going on with you lately? One of the exercises that I have our staff do, probably a couple of times a year, but we encourage them to make this kind of a regular part of their spiritual life, we do something called an emotion check. And I learned it from a pastor named Pete Scazzaro, but it's basically to ask for pretty basic, pretty simple questions but they're questions that help ground us in reality. Here are the four questions of the emotion check. What am I mad about? Snow in October. What am I glad about? Snow in October. Maybe I don't have to shovel it, it melted. What am I sad about? And what am I anxious about? Really pretty simple questions, but if, if you were to do the actual process of kind of examining your inner life, and what's going on inside you emotionally. There's nothing easy about this process. Now, one of the things we ask people in this congregation uh, to do, not in a legalistic kind of way, not in a check off your you know, spiritual disciplines kind of way, but we encourage you to do a daily quiet time. And you, know, you can do it every day, or you can do it a couple of times a week, but just to kind of get into this habit of at some point in the day, digging into God's word, a verse or two, spending a little bit of time in prayer. And if you don't have a daily quiet time, maybe this would be a a good time for you to start doing something like that. A helpful way to start would be to go to the Hope website, just type in daily devotion in the search bar. If you type in daily devotion in in the search bar, the Hope website, it'll take you to a whole page of daily devotions written by staff members uh, at Lutheran Church of Hope. They take a small passage of scripture, write a brief reflection on it, give you a couple of questions to think about, and that's a way that you could do a a daily devotion. And I would encourage you, add something like this to that process. Maybe even before you start engaging with God's word, just do this check. What am I mad about? What am I glad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? This emotion check, it's a way of helping us grow in our awareness of this question, what's going on with me lately? For John Smith, in that clip we watched at the beginning of the message, it's from a movie called Breakthrough, there's a lot going on in his life. It's getting close to his birthday. He was born in Guatemala but was adopted by a couple in St. Louis, Missouri. And every year around his birthday, it just kind of stirs up all kinds of stuff internally, emotionally in John's life. And you saw that clip, does a pretty good job portraying these, these questions that haunt him. And he's able to spend most of his life kind of not thinking about it. And actually a lot of his emotions start to come out sideways as you saw in that clip as well. But these questions like, why did my mom give me up for adoption? Why didn't she want to throw a party for me? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something unlovable about me? And I wonder how many of us, if we actually stopped and quieted our hearts and minds long enough to you know, kind of pay attention to what's going on inside me, the psalmist says, search me, Lord, and, and know my thoughts, know my heart, know my innermost being. If we actually took the time to do that, I wonder how many of us would come face to face with similar questions how many of us wonder is there something unlovable about me we're in a message series where we're looking at some of the stories that jesus told once upon a time and most of the stories that jesus tells he's trying to help us understand god's love for us particularly god's love for people who think they are unlovable Today we get to a real familiar story from Luke chapter 15. It's sometimes referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Now, the word prodigal never shows up in the story as Jesus tells it. That term is more of a a description of the behavior or uh, the actions of one of the sons in this story that Jesus tells. It's actually the third story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. First, it's a story of a lost sheep then a lost coin, and lastly, the prodigal son, you might better call it the lost son. And as we make our way through this story, which is going to be a familiar story for a lot of you, what I want you to be paying attention to today is the way our inability to grow in love or our inability to mature in love often is the reason we end up lost in life. The New Testament is written in the Greek language and the New Testament writers, they have four Greek words that they largely use as they try to help us understand love. And and as we go through these four Greek words, I hope we're going to see that we're moving from immaturity to maturity along the way. So we'll start with the most immature kind of love that the biblical writers talk about, and it's eros love. We get the word erotic from this, but eros love is a lot more than sexuality. Maybe it'd be helpful to think of eros love as uh, gratification. And maybe at some point in your education, you had to study Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow says there are certain basic human needs that we all need to have met, uh, basic needs of food and clothing and shelter and water and uh, safety, security. Eros love is healthy love when it's about meeting those basic human needs. But it can become unhealthy in a hurry if that's all we know of love, if that's all we think love is, that there's nothing more, there's nothing bigger, there's nothing broader than this sort of basic gratification of human needs. Now, I'm not saying that at some point we grow out of, uh, we mature out of needing to have our basic needs met. I, I am simply saying, Eros love is the most immature kind of biblical love because it's about me, meeting my needs. And if you get kind of stuck in that kind of a place, you'll end up in a place where your love is really a love of self. And that's what we see happening at the beginning of Jesus' story. As Jesus tells the story, starting in verse 11, he says, A man has two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. This is a picture of Eros love, unhealthy, immature Eros love. I want my share. I want, I want, I want. It's a selfish, self-centered kind of love. And as we keep reading through Jesus' story in Luke 15, we see how self-centered this younger son, younger brother actually is. And let's do that. Let's go to the next verse, verse 13. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. I wonder, when you read through that passage, what do you kind of focus on? What word or phrase are you drawn to? What what phrase kind of sticks out to you? I'm guessing for a lot of people, it's the phrase wild living. A, a lot of people have this understanding of church. This is why we go to church. We go to church for the pastor to remind us that the, whatever we were doing last night was bad and we need to stop doing that. The, the old phrase for wild living used to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, cut that out. And maybe so that's the phrase you focus on. Maybe for other people, it's this idea of he wasted all his money because there's something about that that points to the immaturity of this younger son, his lack of discipline, his foolishness with his resources. Again, it's a familiar story, and as I was reading through it this week, the phrase that stuck out to me was the phrase, a distant land, a distant land. When Eros love is healthy, it actually connects people. So again, think of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, In a parent-child relationship, as a parent is meeting those basic human needs for their child, it brings them close together. A psychologist will talk about how important those first couple of years are as a parent meets the need of of their child, and it creates this healthy bond of love. Uh, They'll refer to it as a secure attachment. Eros love, meeting those needs, bringing people together. When Eros love is unhealthy, instead of leading to greater connection, it leads to disconnection. It creates relational distance. If it's a focus on, I want my share, rather than meeting your needs, it creates relational distance, which happens to the father and the son in this story. The son literally goes to a distant land, but sort of metaphorically, uh, there's this distance between the two of them relationally. Uh, That gets us to the second kind of love that the biblical writers talk about. It's a love, which oftentimes we think of as family love, the love of parents for children, that sort of thing. I'd like you to think about it in terms of positional love. I love you because of the role you play in my life. That would be a love. So as we read through this story, uh, there are some things, because we're not part of the culture of Jesus' day, there are some things that we miss. But I'm guessing one of the things we did not miss is that the younger son asks for his share of the estate before his father has died. Uh, In our culture, that's a rude thing to do. I mean, it's one thing to want your share of the estate after your parents have died, but to ask for it while they are still living, that's rude. And in Jesus' day, it was, you know, substantially rude. The people listening to Jesus tell that story in first century Middle East, they would have essentially heard Jesus say, the younger son says to his father, I wish you were dead. And that kind of disrespect, that kind of dishonoring from a son to a a parent, there was a cultural expectation how the parent would respond. The parent would respond in kind. The parent would respond by saying, oh, if you're going to be that disrespectful, if you're going to dishonor me that way, then the relationship's over. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. I don't ever want to see your face around here again. And so, again, because the story's so familiar to us, I th- because we know how it ends, I think one of the things we miss, when that younger son goes off, he, he's not interested in a relationship with his father But he is also convinced his father's not interested in a relationship with him. His father has no interest in forgiveness, no interest in repairing the relationship, no desire to repair the relationship. It's over. It's finished. The relationship is gone. So off the son goes to this distant land where he wastes his money in wild living, and then a famine hits that land, and the son has nothing. He goes to work for a farmer, cleaning out pig pens, wishing he could eat the food that the pigs are eating. And you pick up the story in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Storage love, positional love. I love you because of the role you play in my life. The son believes his role as a son, it's over. There's not that kind of a relationship anymore, but he wonders if there could be an, a new relationship, like a master-servant relationship. Storage love. The third kind of love the biblical writers talk about is phileo. Phileo is the root word for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So phileo love is is brotherly love. There is not a whole lot of brotherly love in this story of the lost son. Uh, The younger brother, uh, he goes off and he gets lost in a distant land. The older brother stays home. The older brother is dutiful. The older brother does everything that is expected of him. And so when the younger brother brother, the prodigal son, when he comes back, the older brother does not love this very much at all. Phileo love is is brotherly love, but I mean to think of it even broader than that, it's like loving someone because of the attributes that they have. Uh, Maybe someone is kind and compassionate. Maybe they're thoughtful and articulate. Maybe they're handsome and debonair, but enough about me, phileo love is brotherly love, but you can have phileo love for someone who's not in your family. Because of the attributes they have, you find yourself drawn to them, attracted to them, whatever that might be. The older brother in Jesus' story in Luke 15 does not love the attributes of his younger brother, particularly the attribute that the younger brother is a rule breaker. Now remember, We get this story from Jesus 2,000 years down the road. There was an original audience. There there was an original reason why Jesus told this story. And and we're told at the beginning of Luke 15 that the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law are complaining because Jesus is hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with rule breakers. And the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they are people who keep the rules. They love to follow the rules. So Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of older brothers. A bunch of people have a real difficult time loving anyone who ends up lost. Part of what Jesus is doing in this story, he's trying to help us see there's more than one way to get lost. Yes, you can get lost like the younger brother. You can get lost by not following the rules. But you can also get lost like the older brother. You can get lost by following and following and following and trusting the rules to somehow save you and make your life worth living. If you look at what the older brother is doing, you basically see his love is immature. He displays Eros love, but just in a different way than uh, the younger brother. The younger brother says, I want my share, give it to me now. The older brother, when the younger brother comes back, what does he say? I want my share. Where's my party? Where's the celebration for me? I've done everything right. I've done everything you asked me to do. I've done everything that's been expected of me. Now I want my share. In that movie Breakthrough that we watched at the beginning of the message, John Smith is wondering if he's lovable, but he's not the only character in the movie who kind of struggles with that. His mom, Joyce struggles with that as well. Uh, Joyce and her husband, they adopt John from Guatemala, and she, she's like this perfect mom, right? She's just pouring everything, she's giving her son everything that she has to give him. And still there's this relational distance between Joyce and John. It's his eighth grade year. The story is based on a, a true story. His eighth grade year, he's playing with some buddies on a frozen lake in January. And the ice breaks and they fall through and John doesn't come up. Uh, Twenty minutes later, the emergency personnel are able to pull his lifeless body out of the freezing water. They rush him to the hospital. Forty-five minutes of uh, CPR later, they're still not able to get a pulse. And so the lead doctor says to Joyce, you can have as much time as you need to say goodbye to your son. He is lost. Funny thing happens, instead of saying goodbye, she decides to pray and she prays for God to breathe life into her son. And all of a sudden there's a beep on the monitor and there, there's a pulse and it, it creates a pretty incredible 72-hour journey to try to revive John, to bring him from death to life. The doctors are very um, honest and realistic, this very touch and go kind of situation. They have never seen a positive outcome in a situation like what John is going through, but Joyce insists that everyone be faithful, at least her definition of faithful. Uh, Nobody gets to say anything negative. Uh, Everybody has to be hopeful. And she kind of goes around uh, almost angrily trying to control the situation. Um, In her love for her son, she starts to be less than loving toward anyone who isn't as Positive and optimistic as she is. She's trying to control everything, and, and we discover why in a conversation that she has with her pastor in the hospital waiting room. Take a look.
0: I think you are the fiercest mama bear that I've ever known. How is Joan? He's stable. So when I was 18 I gave my first son up for adoption. I wasn't ready and my life was such a mess. I've never forgiven myself. I can't let it go. I can't go back. I can't fix it. So I tell John how to spend his allowance, Brian, what tie he should wear. I insisted on naming our dog Sammy, for crying out loud. John and Ryan wanted Yoda. It's a pretty stupid name. Thank you. Well, and you, I still want to fix your hair. My whole life, I have not stopped trying to control the outcome. I can't control this, can I? Why don't you let God handle it? Well, looks like you're allowed back upstairs again. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna get a breath of fresh air outside. Okay, I'll tell everyone. I know you love me, whatever you have for John, for Brian, for me, I surrender, I surrender.
1: As beautiful as it is that Joyce and Brian have adopted John, part of the reason for the adoption is guilt. As an 18-year-old, she's pregnant and she gives up her son for adoption and the guilt of that is just this burden on her, a burden that creates distance between Joyce and God. She believes she's bad because of what she has done. She believes she's unlovable because of what she has done. And she starts to become convinced that the only way to be lovable again is to just pile up enough good behavior, good deeds, good actions, that she could be lovable again. You can get lost by breaking the rules. You can also get lost by keeping the rules. And so she does a lot of really good things. She prays before every meal. She uh, is in a women's small group Bible study. She goes to church on a regular basis, even though she doesn't particularly like this new, young, hip pastor from California who sometimes lets the worship team rap during Amazing Grace. She's become a Pharisee. She's become the older brother in Jesus' story in Luke 15. She's become convinced that the standard of goodness is adherence to the law. The problem is the law was never intended to save us. The law was never intended to fix anything. And if we go down the road long enough thinking that obedience to the law is what's going to save us, it's what's going to give us life, we're going to end up at this dead end of self-righteous judgmentalism where we're not able to love ourselves, we're certainly not able to love our neighbor. So Jesus shows us another way. No, the law was never intended to save us, but the law was intended to point to our need for a Savior. The law is supposed to point to our need for God's love. The younger brother in Jesus' story is sitting in that pig pen, and he's kind of in the same place that Joyce is in in that moment. He believes he is bad. He believes he is unlovable. And he decides to head for home where he's about to discover the fourth type of love that the biblical writers use, agape love unconditional love we see it in verse 20 of the story we'll put it on the screen and let's read this out loud together while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him remember at this part of the story the son has not apologized to his father The son hasn't repented, the son hasn't uh, piled up a whole bunch of good deeds to kind of make up for all the bad things he did and, and to balance the scales of morality. And there's a reason why. Jesus is trying to make sure we do not miss this point. Jesus doesn't want us to think the story is about what the young son does, what the younger brother does. Jesus wants us to know this is a story about the love of the father. Agape love. Unconditional love. We're looking at these stories Jesus told once upon a time, and we're connecting them to the vision, who, who we think God wants us to be as a church. Our vision is to be powered by the Spirit, to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. God's love is agape love, unconditional love. If we're going to be a church that revives the world with God's love, we actually more and more all the time have to understand and trust and believe in God's love, which is different from human love, God's love, which is unconditional, God's love, which is perfect. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of times it's difficult for us to really trust and believe in God's agape, unconditional love for us. Because it's so rare in a human relationship, it's hard to trust it in our relationship with God. I came across a verse in my daily quiet time this week that I want to read for you. I don't want you to look it up. I want you to just listen to these words. And I want you, as you listen to these words and these ideas, pay attention to how how are you responding internally to these words. Do you believe it? Do, Do you trust this is how God thinks of you this is how God views you this is how God wants to relate to you cheer up Zion don't be afraid for the Lord your God is living among you he is a mighty savior he will take delight in you with gladness with his love he will calm all your fears he will rejoice over you with joyful songs isn't that awesome God wants to party with us. He takes delight in us. He just wants to have this life of celebration and joy with us. And I think a lot of us find that really difficult to believe. No, God's just watching out for all my wild living and God wants to punish me for that. So we need to become people, a congregation that can internalize and live out of this idea of of God's love for us so that we can share that love with the world around us. So we'll put the verse up on the screen. It's from Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're going to read through this out loud together. I took out the word Zion, which is just kind of symbolic of Jerusalem and, and the people of Israel, and instead, as we read through this, when we get to that blank, put your name in there. So I'll say, cheer up, Scott, and you'll say, cheer up, whatever your name is. Got it? Let's do it together. Ready? Cheer up, Scott. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. This is a picture of God's agape unconditional love for us. It's not saying, I'm going to rejoice over you because you've been uh, good enough, spiritual enough, morally pure enough. I'm, I'm not going to take delight in you with gladness uh, because of all the things that we can do for God God loves us just because we are. Human love is so immature. Human love is what can you do for me? How do you make me feel? In the kingdom of God, the highest form of love is what do we do for others? God's agape, unconditional love is all about giving us a whole new kind of life. And the more we internalize and understand and believe and and live out of God's love for us, we can be healthier and more mature in the way we carry out our mission as a church. Reaching out to the world around us, sharing the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, this verse is just like the celebratory, I will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Uh, this is kind of what goes on at the end of the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. The younger son comes home, and the father wants to throw a party. He wants everybody to celebrate. Here's how he ends the story, how Jesus ends the story. It's the father talking to the older brother. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. If we're going to be a church that revives the world with God's love, we're going to be a part of bringing people from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to seeing with 20 20 vision. All eyes on Jesus. One more clip from this movie. Joyce and Brian, uh, their pastor, their church family, uh, John's teachers and uh, fellow classmates, the whole community, uh, firefighters, EMT, uh, doctors, nurses, they're all praying and praying and praying for John to be revived, for God to breathe the breath of life into his lungs and bring John from death to life. They're praying and it happens It's a miracle, and several weeks later, there's a worship service that everyone is invited to so that they can be reminded of the power of God's love to revive the world. Take a look. I thought it might be a good idea for John to
0: meet some of the people responsible for saving his life. If you're part of the Wentzville Fire Department, would you please stand?
1: If you're an emergency dispatch officer, or an EMT member, could you please stand as well? Now, if you're a member of the Lake St. Louis Police Department, could you please stand? If you're a part of the St. Joseph Medical Team, could you stand? And if you're part of the Cardinal Medical Team, could you stand? Thank you so much for your tireless service for your sacrifice, if you could remain standing, I'd like to ask anyone who prayed for John at school to stand.
0: I'd like anyone who prayed for him at home to stand.
1: I'd like anyone who prayed for him in this very church to stand.
0: said that love is the most powerful force on this earth and my husband and I we we believe that without love we, we cannot flourish we cannot grow we cannot find our place in this world and the power of love and God's love especially is truly the one and only thing that makes all things possible.